So uh, we're going to look at Scripture today, but it's not, this, not the Palm Sunday Scripture. It is a, a Scripture that will relate that's uh, in, found in Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you have your Bible, appreciate you turning there. I'm going to read and we're going to talk about uh, an event in the life of the Jewish people that has direct application for us uh, in the 21st century here, beginning in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes And gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me today? And once again, we'll end by praying the Lord's model prayer using the word trespasses today. Lord, I thank you this day for uh, all you're doing and all you have done. God, it it is obvious you are at work in this congregation. Uh, it would be rather arrogant to assume that I know everything you're doing because I don't. But I trust that every time your people gather, every time we sing hymns, every time we listen to Scripture or read Scripture, or every time we pay attention to perhaps points made in a sermon, I know that you're at work. Because as you said, Jesus, your Father is always at work. So I know you're at work in Highland Park Baptist Church. May not know what you're doing, but I trust what you're doing. So I ask now that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the preparations and the prayers that have gone before this week for this message, and I pray that you would plant them deep into the hearts and minds of the people that are gathered here at this time as seeds. And I pray, O Lord God, that it would bear fruit that remains, fruit that comes from you. And this I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Listen, please, as you hear your children pray, Lord Jesus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Jewish people have, uh, for probably a couple of hundred years, lived with various kings who led them into either godly behavior or ungodly behavior. If you read through First and Second Kings, what you'll discover is that there were more kings that were wicked than there were kings that were good. There were more kings who did not walk with God than did walk with God. And as a result, the people followed their leaders. And many of the people became uh, practically pagan, and some of them still would go to the temple. They, had a, a, they were like the Apostle Paul, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. They had a form of religion, but that's all it was, was they lived as they wanted. They lived like, the, to put it in uh, the way we would say up in Union County, they lived like the devil on, during the week and went to church on Sunday. You know, it was that, that kind of a thing. But they were really extremely wicked in that there was idolatry. There was a child sacrifice. There was a rampant sexual immorality. Um, we, we look now at abortion today and we think that, you know, that's the first time that's ever happened. Well, that, that was rather frequent back in the Greek culture. Uh, and in other cultures, in the Babylonian culture, and then in the Assyrian culture, in the Greek culture, the Roman culture. So, I mean, th- that was a way of life. And so, God, God is looking at his, his people, the Jewish people, let's say over here in Jerusalem, and they're living many of the same sinful ways that the Babylonians are living or other people are living. They're, in other words, sin is pretty rampant even in God's people. And God sends prophets. He sends many prophets to judge them. And he says, look, you, you folks need to know there are consequences for your sin. Even though you're my people, there are consequences for your sin. There are results of your sin that come. Even if you come and get forgiveness, there's still consequences for the sin. But the people wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen at all. And finally, God said, okay, that's it. And what he does is he takes all of the able-bodied people from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon, which is roughly five to 600 miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem, to live in that area, to live in the city of Babylon. And we're talking any, at least hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. One of the people you may be familiar with is the prophet Daniel. If you read Daniel's prayer in, in Daniel 9, he refers to this particular text we just read from Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah told us this. And what they did was they took them into Babylon. And so people who once had lived in Jerusalem, who once went to the temple, even though they were not the most godly people on the earth, they still believed their God was Jehovah. But now when they got to Babylon... There are many gods, there are idols, there's sexuality, there's rampant immorality and ungodliness and idolatry, and that's where they're living now. And many of them are either slaves or servants. It's not like they get to move into the nice neighborhoods. They are held captive. They can't go back. They're told they'll never go back. That's what Babylon said. Babylon had no plans to send them back. As far as they were concerned, they'd been taken captive. They were theirs, and they were their servants. 
And so they're trying to figure out how do we live? How do we live in a pagan culture? One prophet by the name of Hananiah, who was back in, Je- in Jerusalem, he was too old to be taken into uh, Babylon. He said, just hang on. It'll only last a couple of years, and then you'll come back, and everything's going to go back just like it used to be. Everything will be just like it was. Just wait two years. Jeremiah, the prophet, has already told them back in chapter 25, God said, this is going to last 70 years. Seven, zero. Just to put that in perspective, I will be 70 in June. I have a son and a daughter, and I have grandchildren. That's three generations. I have one granddaughter who's early 20s, who if she were married would be old enough to have another child, which would be a great grandchild. So it's conceivable that a person in 70 years could have four generations all living at the same time. But we know at least three generations. Now, now let that kind of sink in, that you have been picked up from where you live, where you have lived for several hundred years years. Your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, everybody, you've all lived there. You have a customs, you have a culture, you have a way of life that you, that you live in, in the Jewish lands, and you've been picked, a, picked up and taken to a land where their people are nothing like you. They don't have the same values you have. They don't have the same morals you have. They don't worship the same God you do. They don't dress like you do. They don't eat what you eat. They don't work like you. They don't do anything like you. It's, it's like you're being planted in an alien culture from where you've been. And so Jeremiah, they're, they're trying to figure, how do we live here? How do we live here? And that's when Jer- Jeremiah tells them, look at verse 5, build houses. Build houses. Live in your houses. Plant gardens. Eat the produce. Take wives. Get married. Have children. Multiply. Now, what he's saying there to him is, look, they're trying to figure out, what should we do? And Jeremiah says, here's what you should do. Do what you used to do. Get married. Plant gardens. Build a house. If you're in, your south, in the United States, get a mortgage. You know, that's, that's what you do. You live there. Get married. And he says, do not decrease. He said, you're to multiply there. And that word multiply is not just a numerical idea. It's also a depth idea. So he's, what he's saying is, don't just, there, it's not just that there should be more of you, but the ones that you have should be deeper in their faith. Remember, because of their lack of depth in their faith, that's why they're there. So he says, multiply and go deeper in your faith. Don't decrease there. But then look at verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do you know, do you know what he's doing? He, here's, let me translate that to modern. Pray for your captors and bless them. Bless the Babylonians. Pray for the Babylonians. That word where he says, seek their welfare, that's a, that's a Hebrew word. Most, most of us are familiar with it. It's the word shalom. Shalom. Most of us translate that peace. But it's far deeper than peace. It actually means well-being. It's overall well-being. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's, it's well-being, to seek their well-being. To seek their wholeness is the way the ESV translates it. 
He says, seek the wholeness, the blessing of the people who are your captors. They actually could be called the enemy. He said, bless the enemy. And he says to them, he says, for in their welfare is your welfare. Now, he's not suggesting bless them and see if they'll be nice to you. He's not saying you, you bless them and maybe if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you. That's not what he's saying. Because, see, the source of blessing is who? God the Father. He's saying you bless them. This is what I want you to do. And, he's, and then he says the last thing in verse, well, not the last thing, but in verse 8, he says, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. He says, look, you have some religious leaders who tell you that this is going to be short-lived. You have some religious leaders who tell you this is no big deal. Hang on. We'll be, everything's going to go back like it used to be. All you got to do is just hang on. It won't be long. It won't be long. It won't be long. I remember that song. Look, there goes a the bird. Um, yeah, it comes with my, it, I have a condition. <laughs> I have a condition, you know. And as I said, what was I talking about? No. So there are those that are telling them that this is, they're saying it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. Well, Jeremiah says, it's that bad. It's that bad. It's 70 years worth of bad. 70 years worth of bad. And and so there's, it's like he's saying here, there's the bad news. But then he says, there's good news too. Because one of the verses a lot of people like, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, and to give you hope. You know, God is saying, look, my ultimate plans for you, because you are my people, my ultimate plans for you is to give you a welfare, to, for your well-being, to give you hope. It, it's, it, it's like, a, did, did any of you ever have your parent give you well, I don't even know whether you can say this anymore. We can't talk about spankings anymore, can we? Uh, did any of you ever get a spanking and, and your parent tell you something like, this hurts me more than it does you? And you're going, explain that to me, please. I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it, you know. Or, or this one. My mother used to pray this one. She used to pray, I hope you have children just like you, you know. And I did. I did. And, you know, that's when you go, ah, I understand, you know. You know, well, Hebrews tells us that when God disciplines his people, it is always for their good. He doesn't say that, you know, that, that uh, you'll never suffer, you'll never hurt, you'll never be disciplined. God does discipline his people. And that's what he's saying here. However, the ultimate hope is in God. It always has been in God. It is in God. And that's what he's telling them here. He says, look... There's going to be a better day, but you need to hope in me. Now, you might say, well, what in the world does that have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, I think we live, this Kurt's opinion, my opinion. I think we live in a time that, uh, I'm not going to say this is Babylon, but it's close. Uh, I think it's close. I, I, I really believe, once again, this is my opinion, I really believe that we're living in a time that is what I would call uh, post-Christian. Uh, there, there is a, a culture, a sociologist tells us there's a culture called Christendom. And Christendom is, is a culture that is based on Christianity or the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's Christendom. You know, the idea of getting married to one person and staying married, that comes from Christianity. You know, the idea of, of uh, 
of uh, a man and a woman in marriage. That's, that's Christian. Uh, the idea of uh, telling the truth. That's, all of those are rooted in the Christian faith. But I, I think that um, uh, if I had time, I could probably make a good case that we're living in post-Christian time. I'm talking about as a culture. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are living by the Christian teachings. Obviously, most of you are. You're still doing it. But, but if you were to ask, you know, if you were to have an alien come in and watch all of our movies and our television shows and read our newspapers and do all of that and ask us, is that a, they wouldn't even say it's a religious cult. As a matter of fact, you, you can get in trouble by saying that we are religious. You know, and most of our views are, are not even tolerated, what's more, understood. So I think we're living in that, in that kind of a culture. I, I've called it a pagan culture. Uh, probably calling it a secular culture would be uh, even more accurate. But it is definitely a, a culture that is somewhat increasingly hostile to Christianity. That, that those of us, now I don't, I don't mean y'all, you know, that everybody's taking shots at us because, you know, there are a lot of people taking shots at us, but it doesn't matter how many people take shots at us. What matters is how do we respond? How do we respond? Uh, Viktor Frankl was taken captive by the Nazis and held captive in a, uh, in a prisoner of war camp. Matter of fact, I've been where he was held captive in Dachau, in uh, Auschwitz and Birkenau. Been to both of those, and I've been there. And, and Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist, said that many of the people you know, killed themselves rather than to be killed by the Nazi soldiers and everything. And, and so he wrote this book called The Meaning of Persons. And he said that uh, they were asking him, how in the world did you survive the Nazi concentration camp, and he, he said, well, uh, it depends on your purpose or your reason for living. You know, what, what is your reason for living? And he said, what I realize is that they can take every freedom there is from me except one, and that is the freedom to choose my response. No matter what is done to you, you can choose your response. And so we're in, we're in that position now where we may not be able to control whether the culture becomes friendly or unfriendly to us. But we can control our response, and that's where we connect with Jesus. Jesus was about to ride into a city where he knew that though they were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, within five days they would be saying, crucify him. And he knew that. But still, he got on the donkey and rode into town. There are three responses that Christians normally do whenever we face opposition. One is to withdraw. We back up. We find a place to hide. You know, uh, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't tell the disciples, you know what, guys? It is really dangerous down here in Jerusalem. Let's head back up to Nazareth. I know a little place where we can hide up there. He didn't do that. He got on his donkey and he said, tally-ho, boys. We're going in there. That's where we're going. And you can see them saying, are you kidding? These are the people that wanted to kill you. Jesus said, I know. Let's go. See, withdrawing has always been a, a, a response of some Christians. That's actually how many, once again, Kurt's opinion, uh, my interpretation of history, is that much of the monasteries were created by people who were withdrawing from the culture. They were, they were you know, the, the best way to handle the culture, if you were a withdrawal person, is to have nothing to do with it. So you don't do anything like the culture. You don't go to movies. You don't go to restaurants. You don't do anything. You withdraw. That's an option some take. 
Another option, though, that has been taken in the past uh, that also has a short life is to try to overpower the current culture uh, in whatever way you can. Some, some, uh, some folks try to use financial power to, you know, we'll, what we'll do is uh, you know, we'll, only, we'll only do business with, those, with Christian businesses. That'll show them. Mm. See, you know what? That's one of the... This is not in the message. Yeah, it is. Um, that's one of the things the church has to be careful of. Is we cannot use worldly power to accomplish kingdom goals. Our model is Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he was right going into town, he could have called 10,000 angels, right? But he didn't. See, the way of the kingdom is not the way of the world, the flesh, or the devil, and you have to watch for that. Some people want to overthrow. They use financial power. Some use political power. Some use military power. Right now, in, in some places in the Middle East, the Muslim faith is using uh, uh, military power to just destroy anybody that disagrees. You can't disagree. Some use sociological power. You know, there, there are some people that, 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 that you, you use Facebook to beat people up. The people that don't agree with you, you know, and that's, that's kind of peer pressure kind of thing, you know. So, so that, that's, you know, we're just going to overpower them. I, I can remember when uh, one of the strategies to, to uh, keep prayer in schools was let's just elect more people so we'll force those guys to pray. And I'm thinking, well, how'd that work for you? You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's using force. To accomplish godly wills, I mean, godly goals. But I'm, I'm just thinking that that may work for a while, but it has what we call a short shelf life, a very short shelf life. But one of the, and, and people have tried that in the past. There's a third option, though, that is probably the saddest one to me, and that is to assimilate. That's just become like them. Just become like the culture. Right now, there are several mainline Christian denominations that uh, have not only approved of gay marriage, they have, uh, they have pro- uh, supported it and actually encouraged it, just avoiding the Scriptures. Why? Because the culture said so. But that's not just, that's the most evident one. Uh, how about sexual immorality altogether? You know, <laughs> When I was in high school, you know, back in the dark ages, you know, they, we had lights back then, but it was, it was a long time ago. But when I, when I was in high school, nobody ever talked about somebody, you know, having sex before they were married. I never. Had never. I mean, and it's almost like now it's part of dating. You know, and, and, and so that's some Christians' responses. Well, here they'll go, well, you know, we all have problems. No, it's called sin. And repent is the proper response, not excuse. And so that, that's what we see. Those are three options that the Christian church, I think, has taken in the past. Withdraw, overpower, or assimilate. But I think Jeremiah shows us a better way. And that's what I want to suggest is here's a, a better way to, to relate to a culture that is increasingly hostile to discipleship to Jesus. The first thing I want to recommend is what he said here, do life in the pagan culture. Jump in the middle of it. 
You know, get in there. And what I'm talking about there is we get married, we build houses, we get jobs, we, we have children. Uh, we, do, we do everything everybody else is doing. You know, we, we go to movies, we read books, we go to school, we do all of those things, we, we vote. Uh, we do all of those things that everybody, that everybody does because, you know, that's part of the human equation of what we do. However, the second thing is you maintain your identity as you do those things. That you, when you go to work, you're not going to work just as, you know, uh, whoever going to work today. You are a disciple of Jesus going to work today. So you work like Jesus would work if he were you. I read a, a great story uh, a few weeks ago. There was a, a, a Wall Street banker that somebody on his team had uh, made a major mistake, and it cost him, I think, uh, either a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars loss that it cost him. And so his supervisors brought him in and told him to explain himself, and and he said, uh, you know, he knew that, that one of his team had made the mistake. And actually, his supervisors knew that, too. And it was a lady that worked for him. And uh, he said, uh, well, whatever you're going to do, do it to me. And they said, well, you know, we didn't expect to deal with you. We wanted to help you know how to deal with, that, with the lady that worked for you. And he said, no, whatever you're going to do, do it to me. And they said, well, this is going to cost you your, your end-of-the-year bonus. And you're in line for a promotion. And I can tell you, it's gonna, it will affect that. He said, I realize that still. Oh, that's what I want you to do. And so they said, his bosses said, okay. Word got back to the employee a couple of days later. She went to his office and she said, can we talk a minute? He said, yeah. She came in and she said, uh, I heard what you did. Why did you do that? He said, well, consider it a gift. I did it. That's what I did. Enough said. She said, no, I want to know why you did that. He said, I, I'm, you know, I did it. Just, just accept it. And so she said, I'm going to sit in this chair until you tell me why you did it. And he said, well, I want you to remember, you're making me tell you this. You're making me tell you this. About 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Jesus Christ took my sins on himself and died in my place on a cross. And took the penalty for my sin. I've got my faith in him. I am a follower of his. And I have decided as a follower of Jesus that I will absorb more pain than I inflict. Woman said, where's your church? <laughs> See, that's the kind of thing we've got to do. It's not just saying, you know, I'm not going to go to a, an R-rated movie. Or I'm not going to go to a restaurant that has a bar. It's, it's far more than that. Those are personal choices you have to make. But this is where you begin to remember who you are. And you begin to live like a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I, uh, I, I love studying history. One of my favorite books is, is Studying the Rise of Christianity by um, Rodney Stark. But uh, one of the things I discovered was a, a writing from a man by the name of Diagne, well, it's actually Mathetes. His name is Mathetes, same as Matthew. It was written to a Roman uh, ruler who was a pagan. His name was Diagnetus. This is on, you can Google it, by the way, those of you who know what Google is. 
Anyway, this was, this was written somewhere between 130 and 200 A.D. So let's just say around 150 A.D. And, and Mathetes is a pagan who has been asked by another pagan to explain Christianity. Tell me about Christianity. What about these? He said, I, there are these people called Christians. Who are they? Who are they? And I'm, I'm reading verbatim. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as other people do. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They, they follow all of the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass those laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They lack many things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor they are glorified. People speak evil of them, and yet they are justified. They are reviled. When they are reviled, they bless. When they are insulted, they repay the one insulting them with honor. They do good, and yet they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice. They are assailed by the Jews as being foreigners. They are persecuted by the Greeks. And yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. That's describing how Christians lived in 150 A.D. Now if you know anything about history, that's in the middle of the, the Roman Empire. Some of the powerful, that here's this group of people living like that. Living like that in the middle of that particular culture. Now what Jeremiah is telling the people of Israel and I think telling us today is that you've got to live in this culture. This this is not a Christian culture anymore. You've got to live in this culture, but you've got to live as a disciple of Jesus. So you do things as a disciple of Jesus would do. You do business as a disciple of Jesus would do. You forgive like Jesus forgives. You bless like Jesus blesses. You're patient like Jesus is patient. And all of the things that you can't do yet, you begin to discipline yourself. You need to train as well as try in order to live as Jesus would live if he were a barber or a truck driver or an executive or a homemaker. You live as Jesus would live in that particular area. But now one of the things that you've got to pay attention to doing is where he said you multiply there. Part of your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, now let me take a step aside. If you're present, I almost did it again. I started to say, if you're here today, that is, that's the dumbest thing in the world to say to all of y'all who are not here today. Now, uh, if you've decided to attend this worship service today and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk with you. I'll hang around after the service is over and be here at the front. Would love to talk to you. Brian will talk to you, and some of the any of us. We'd be glad to tell you about what Jesus has done for us, and how you can can know Jesus. But if if you know Jesus, and you're one of these who follow Him and have set your mind to follow Him, I want to say to you, it is our responsibility. Some of you won't like this, by the way. It is, 
It is our response. We who are disciples of Jesus are responsible to make more disciples. And I'm not just talking about witnessing. See, I think over the years, there's been this sort of, a, a, of an idea that pastors, you know, pastors and staff members make deacons. Uh, the, the mandate that is given in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, 20 is to every single believer of Jesus Christ. And for you with families, I want to say to you that begins with your children uh, and, and grandchildren. You know, I, I have a conversation regularly with my little grandson that lives, uh, they, they've just moved to Texas now. His family, his dad's uh, in the Air Force and they've just moved to Texas. And I've had a conversation, I have a conversation with him anytime somebody says something that he says, uh-uh. You know, he, he, but here's his answer. I'll call Papa. Papa will know. I'll call Papa, you know, and I said, bring it on, buddy. I love, you know, but uh, Papa, my science teacher told me there wasn't a God. And I said, well, tell the science teacher you don't believe he's there. <laughs> no, I, did, I wouldn't do that. That's not nice. That's what I would do, but yeah. <laughs> that's my grandson you're lying to there, boy. But we have, we have to talk through it. But let me, let me just say to you that... Um, the most common response that I have, I'm confessing my sin here, maybe not yours, but my, my most common response when I see that, what my, my granny Johnson used to say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And that meant things are not getting better, they're getting worse. My, my most frequent response is anger. It really is. And that, that's when I have to be reminded of what James said, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So how do I do it? I go into the culture. I do life with them, but I live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Living, I mean, call, you can call me odd for God if you want to, but I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm going, I'm going to go to church. I'm, I'm going to give one-tenth of my income to my church or more. I'm going to send missionaries to other countries. And I'll tell you about Jesus anytime you want to know. And you can call me weird, you can call me anything you want to. But that's the way I'm, I'm going to live. And I think we have to make that decision, don't you? This, this is what we do. But then this last thing is the hard one. That's where he, he told him, go into the culture, get married, have babies, multiply, don't get smaller, maintain your identity, and bless. Bless. He's saying bless the people that have overcome us. Rodney Stark's book called The Rise of Christianity, he traces how, how Christianity grew. It actually grew exponentially. And he proves historically uh, that one of the primary ways that Christianity grew in the first century was by the way that they ministered to everybody. There's a, a particular example he uses during one, one of the plagues. There have been several plagues, but one of the plagues was such that during the Roman times, when if a person had the plague and was dying, it was common, and this is in the larger cities, to take the, the person who was dying and lay them out by the curb until they died. It was very contagious, so they were, they were trying to preserve, but that's what they did. Um, Stark proves that the Christians would come and take the people who had the plague into their homes and nurse them and bless them. And many of those Christians died from the plague, sacrificing their life 
Now imagine, imagine you're, the, you're one of the families that you've got a person dying in your family of the plague and, and your, your ethical standards are, are, are questionable to us Christians, but not to you. That you say, well, yeah, we put, him, we put you know, Uncle Bob out, out there by the, by the curb. And so you're, you're, you're grieving. You're not happy that he's dying, but you see him grieving. And you're just thinking, man, there's no hope for that person. And then you see these kind people come and pick Uncle Bob up and wrap him up gently in a blanket and take him to their house. And when, when he dies, they bury him. They, they say a prayer over him. And you're watching this. Do you think that would have an impact on a person watching that? See, that's the kind of people we want to be. That's why the third part about blessing is blessing even those who you wouldn't normally bless. Because, see, you have a greater hope than anybody. You know, and and whether Jesus decides to come tomorrow and take us all to glory or whether Jesus decides that we've got another 70 years of living in this culture, and whether it's going to get harder to be a Christian in this culture, or whether it gets easier, our hope is not in the transformation of the culture. We want to see it. I'd love to see it. Our hope is in our God. And we have decided that no matter what they do, even if they come after us to kill us, we're going to stand strong. We're going to stand strong, but it's not going to be stand strong like this. It's going to be standing strong like this. Just like Jesus did. And if you need a motive of why you should do that, because you're probably thinking, well, I know a bunch of people that don't deserve that. I'm looking at a bunch of people that don't deserve that. And you're looking at one person that really doesn't deserve any grace or mercy. See, that's the whole point of the cross. (laughs) The cross. Dying for those who don't deserve it. Now, what I'm calling you to do is to live for those that don't deserve it. To bless. Always remembering who you are. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray a few things and if that's your prayer you can just you know mouth the words me too Lord that'll be our invitation you can pray it just say me too Lord Lord God help help me to live in this current world as a disciple of yours help me to live as Jesus would live if he were me in the 21st century And Lord, I pray, help me to deepen my roots in your teaching, Jesus. Help me, to, help me to move way past having a devotional thought that, you know, keeps me warm and fuzzy feeling all day about how much God loves me. I, I thank you that you love me. But Lord, help me to be able to know you, to be a disciple of yours, to know the way to live, the good and beautiful life that you teach. Help me not just to know the Sermon on the Mount, but to to begin learning to live. And Lord, I pray you would keep me from being deceived. Please, Lord. 
God, I pray that you would help me to grow stronger in my faith and in, in my understanding of your word so that I will not be deceived. And Lord, please protect my children and my grandchildren from deception. And I ask you to protect me from deception. Help me not to be fooled by, by anything that isn't rooted in your word. Lord, please help me see with your eyes so that I can bless other people, not just those who are like me or those who... Lord, help me to bless people that I wouldn't normally bless. Open my eyes, Lord. Open my heart to bless others in your name. And Lord, Lord, I pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, make your church strong enough to stand even in persecution and hostility. Help, help us to not be victimized. Help us not to think like victims, please. But help us to stand strong, Lord. Strong in you, Lord, and in the power of your might. I pray, O oh Lord God, now that your church would put on truth and righteousness. They would stand in the gospel to take up the shield of faith and putting on the helmet of salvation. To taking up the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, and prayer. Enable your church, Lord God. Enable your church called Highland Park to stand strong. Strong in you, Lord. And in the power of your might. And Lord, I pray that no matter what the world does, whether it gets better or worse, it will keep our focus and our hope and our eyes on you. You are our hope. We'll work till you come, Lord. We're going to love and bless and live trusting you to take the seeds of our life and use them to change the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oftentimes at a, a message like this, people need to make decisions. And if you just said, me too, you just did. Sometimes the Lord encourages you to make that decision public. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to sing a couple of verses of this hymn, I've Decided to Follow Jesus, except, I don't know about you, but even it means something different to me today. It means a lot more today. When I think of my children and my grandchildren, and I think that we're building the world that they're going to live in, then I'm hoping that every one of you will say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Not just to be saved. I mean, if you need that, yeah. But I'm going to adjust my life so that others will know Jesus is Lord of my life and they will know we are Christians by our love, by our blessing.